PG Podcast Network, it's time for the year-round carnival with Vince Accardi and your host, Racetrack Rolfie. G'day, thanks so much for checking out our year-round carnival podcast, Deep Purple. Well, that was appropriate, not so much smoke in the water. It made a few of us Deep Purple if uh, we didn't have smoke and Romans in our quaddy. Audio of Matt Hill's call, courtesy of Racing.com, and before that, uh, audio uh, courtesy of Sky Racing, with Darren Flindell's great calling of the Randwick meeting. G'day, Vince Accardi from Daily Sectionals. Yes, top of the morning to you, Ralphie. Oh, mate, we had a bit to learn, some good quality racing. We might start with Sydney. That was the uh, that was the card that, well, we had a choice. We didn't have a choice. We could do both. We might do both the week after about which way to go as far as a good Melbourne meeting or a good Sydney meeting. In the end, the weather made a pretty easy decision for us to concentrate on Melbourne. But as far as Randwick was concerned, it was good quality. Unfortunately, the rain really hit it. How did Sydney actually play as far as your data is concerned? Yes, all right. So... The good news is probably not not as bad as like the 50s. We're just getting uh, <laughs> a bit better than maybe, again, they really do need to change the scale. 16.9 below benchmark. We start off the two-year-olds, and they were very similar for the races one and two between 16.9. This is on the Raws. This is below the standard to 17.7. We'll call that around 17 for both. But race three, staying race. Well, no, mile race, sorry, minus 30. Probably didn't want to really take that as the marking. But the interesting race was race four. I felt that at this stage, it, overall, good quality performers, and it was around 19 below. But then, you know, the rain started to come in on and off, and we sort of, race five was like 29 below. Race six was 25 below. Get to the main race, coming out, 17, Ralphie. So that was marked for me like genuine S7 still. Again, race eight, very important race to sort of get a real grip. I felt we're again, we're around that 17 and a half range. My view was that this track pretty much topped out at a, at a H10. Yep. A heavy nine. So not quite as bottomless as previously, but, no but that's near. because... That's because you're saying previously it should have been a heavy 12 for different rates. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right. And plus at three, as you'd expect, the horses got off the rails and uh, and ultimately didn't play like a complete mess, but it, uh, it certainly was wet. We'll start in uh, in race order with the uh, the Group 1 flight stakes. Uh, Zoo Got You was a, a terrific winner, Vince. And look... Uh, we, we, there was two horses we we highlighted, and as you did, you as far as Sizzlers are concerned, and certainly as did you in your HP profiles. Who got you in Fireburn? Who got you was impressive. Fireburn wasn't. How did you break down the race? Yes, yes. <laughs> Fireburn wasn't. 
Well, it's the pace. That was really the real critical factor here. The 13.5 lengths below benchmark first section. Zugotch is travelling 15.4. Fireburn, uh, uh, seriously, 19.6. That, that's already a bad move given the structure of the ground condition. And why I say that is when you've got to make this big move in the mid-race and it's heavy, well, how much fuel do you feel you might have left when you get to the last 400 metres? I'm suspecting nothing, right? And the evidence is there, right? I look at it and say, okay, Fireburn's going 19.6 below. Zoo Gotcha's going 15.4 below. There's a four-length variance. Between the eight and the 400 metres, the squeeze of Fireburn was 18.1 versus Zoo Gotcha, 13. So who's conserving the energy really now? And then I look at the last 200 metres, Fireburn 6.2 lengths below benchmark. In other words, the run had come to an end, and you could see there's a velocity drop of around four lengths, and Zoo Gotcha was 4.9. It's gone, used more fuel early but was in a much better position. And, of course, I'm not knocking the horse. I thought the horse was outstanding, and I don't believe Fireburn would have beaten it, as it turns out. But you can't win under that sort of race shape. And Zugotcha was was able to be stronger, even though it did lose velocity over the last 200 metres of around 2.4 lengths. But it was all about once you get your position and you're in that ground, that's, that's the key thing. So in our, in our sizzlers, we, we, we rarely stamp one for what they didn't do. And, in fact, we wrote, wrote exactly that. For yep. 4.1 links below benchmark rank, 62nd on the day. She ran no time in her lead-in. But what we wrote, we don't often stamp a horse for what they didn't do, but she's won a Group 2 here with a bludge, and there's a Group 1 flight stakes. Next start, she can elevate big time into. Minus 8.2 at the 800, minus 5.3 mid-race, minus 7.9 at the 400, only clear 300 out with James McDonald kidding to her. Note first up which gives us confidence. She won with minus 0.1 below benchmark when first up. Her last 200, excellent, 2.6. A rebound of that would be very hard to top, stop her making remaining unbeaten this time in. So what we said was minus 0.1 length below was her mark. What did she do on Saturday? Yeah, well, there we are, 2.1, Ralphie. It's just fantastic performance. What a fun of this guy is. <laughs> he just keeps getting him to peak in the big ones. Absolutely, and I'm sure if I look at the blowout at the end, that's not the end of this horse's campaign. Right. So, really, she's boogie dancers uh, going well in Melbourne, but uh, particularly if the track's wet um, at the moment, she's, she's the top of the tree amongst the fillies. For sure. Just just one point, I was, um, Brett Navdala, I'm just using this jockey quote because, as you said, position and running was, was just in the wrong spot early. But his quote was, I was a bit disappointed, 600 out. I was never really in the race, never travelled as she has in the past. I was out at my feet, the 150, whether it was in the seven-day backup. So perhaps it was a case, Vince, that also she, you know, some, some horses in the seven-day backup is perfect. For her, maybe she was flat. Oh, a big possibility of that, Ralphie. I was really cold personally sort of come race start just given the ground condition heavy the type of speed the horse did close out at at the last run just a few little negatives but I, I i have to say though i wasn't expecting that type of a ride either yeah i know he he, <laughs> he was he made that communication but being you know why why do you want to be that far back just think about it right why do you want to be that far back when the horses raced on ground conditions that have been genuinely 15 lengths inferior i get it right that you're yep. not going to have that speed but if you just what i would have considered just genuine heavy eight to ten range 
then there's no need because this horse would have had no difference being at 19.6 below or 16.6 below. I just felt that the tactics weren't right. They took their medicine in terms of let's go quiet and they were hoping they were going to get some bazooka finish and the bazooka finish wasn't there and they can make all the blaming that they want. It's all these reasons. The reality was, from my perspective, the ride wasn't on point. And no, yeah, I'm seven, about, sorry, I'm not talking about the rider himself. I'm saying yeah. their strategy was not on point. Of course. Race 7, uh, there was some on-point performances here. Now, it's a blanket finish, but the data's going to tell us that uh, it, it, it was a race to trust as far as good quality sprints. Lost and running. Your race speed profile is leading in. Uh, this is from Daily Sexuals. His first up performance was sharp from an IVR perspective. It was 0.6 increase from his resuming run last campaign now peak first up run his speed was controlled through the early mid races for unleashing with an eye catching close late the performance gives us good guide he was forward conditioning wise looks primed and only repeat but likely eclipse that level of performance here he step up to 1200s a key the only caveat surrounding him we have no real god in his talent on a truly heavy ground he does have boast a soft track Wet track indicator of 7.6. Be highly favoured. If the track remains in that rating, he should take a degree of beating here. Well, he's won. He's won in a blanket finish. just want to ask you what Hugh Bowman said here. I think that this is interesting because it sort of matches up what you said. What I'd love to get through is better track conditions. Not that it's anyone's fault. It's just the rain we've had. But if we get a fine week, Everest week, it's going to really assist the others too. But I think you'll see the best of it. Not necessarily firm ground, just not on the heavy. How do you assess his performance? Well, it was... It was an excellent performance overall. He's had a bit, a little bit of an improvement on the WTI as well by a couple of lengths. But when we break down the race, 7.5 lengths below benchmark. Very similar in terms of speed going up 100 metres to what it did first up, Ralph, which was travelling around 8.0 lengths below benchmark. The mid-race move, I thought it was a really controlled move as well. Around five lengths was the mid-race squeeze. That's very good. And this is probably... The the key thing about what Hugh Bowman said is when we look at it from a wet track perspective and what this horse could possibly do on a dry track, there it is. In the last 200 metres, the horse did blow out by about two lengths. And I would say that's definitely conditioning mixed in with the ground condition that the horse you know isn't at its top. But overall, the horse has improved almost another length, Ralphie. Which I, I feel I think it's fantastic to see that overall last thousand metres, third best of the day as well. There's a lot to like about the run. Of course, the question is now: Can you make that elevation on the low? You probably got to improve probably two lengths, and on the high, you might have to improve about three and a half. We uh, we always ask our members on a Sunday if they'd like to ask you a question or make a statement even. <laughs> you can become a member via my website, racetrackralphie.com.au. Every week our members get best of the day from uh, from Melbourne and Sydney as well as if, if we're covering another venue such as the Queensland Carnival, Perth Carnival, etc. And, uh, and also our Group 1 members get bonus content. We do a secondary podcast. This week, we're going to have a look at the uh, what we learnt from an Everest perspective, as well as Derby, Caulfield Cup, a couple of other little things. So a Group 1 bonus, if you're a Group 1 member, you don't have to do anything. We're going to email it to you. If you'd like to become a member, click through the links on my website. Michael has asked, has the gap between Nature Strip and his rivals after yesterday's premiere only gotten wider? So it was a blanket finish, but Vince, uh, you know, we, we've got a marker on Nature Strip, but point being, even though it was a blanket finish, there's four horses who have broken two links above benchmark, and they're all top four in the day. Yeah, top six on the day, so yeah, they were excellent performances. At all, 
well, of course, even Kementari, yeah, of yeah. course, Rafi. I, I, this was this was a good solid field. I mean, obviously, you get some good clarity around Mazu, but yes, it's a great performance by those three horses. They do have to go up, and at this stage, there's no signs of them not going up. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just all going to come back down to what will the track really be like on that day. <laughs> Absolutely. The Epsom, uh, fantastic finish, uh, obviously, dead heat between Ellsberg and top ranked, and Hinge was right there as well. Look, um, again, ground conditions, Vince, typically in Epsom, I'd say plus four on the low, plus seven, plus eight, sometimes on the high, if it's a nice big, big field, firm track and high pressure. But on Saturday, 2.6, 2.7 was the uh, was the figure you've given for Ellsberg and top ranked. How'd you break down the race? Yeah, you just summed it up beautifully, Ralphie. Unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, definitely well down on other years. And obviously, no knock on a horse like Ellsberg, but that was the sort of rubber stamp, sort of giving you the clarity that it's it's three to four lengths softer than what we typically see. The, the pressure was very different as well. I look at that early speed. Yeah, <laughs> crossed or did go out at a good speed, I must admit. But on its own... <laughs> So 3.8 below, but that's fast on those conditions. Yeah, that's definitely uh, somewhere around more like the plus two, plus three range, Ralphie. No no wonder the horse completely gave up over the last 400 metres like it was a monster drop-off. So I'm not sure what happened and why they decided to make that move. Maybe they couldn't control the horse. This did set it up for those off-pace runners. Yep. Alsberg, it's a good horse, does... Uh, thrive on the wedding like it's it's got a wti ralphie at 13.9 so that's a significant advantage that's a swing on plus 10 yeah and i was like borderline myself going to put it in the top four it ended up being fifth but and top rank i thought that was the the other top run obviously in the race came from a a, a little bit more dif- difficult position and what i mean by that ralphie you still have to spot ellsberg a couple of lengths at the 800 meter mark and had to do a lot more work race in the mid-race, and you can actually see between the six and the 400, the bro- this horse actually broke benchmark, which is so hard to do then to sustain your speed. And then I look at the closing speed of the last 200 metres. There it was, half-length difference. So I feel that when you look at the visuals versus the numbers, it's not it's, – it's an unfair result even – you know, two horses dead it Fair in terms of what happened on the day, but quality of the two horses, top rank was definitely the superior run on the day. One of the great things about, you know, really looking at this at this data and the 200-metre breakdowns, the 400-metre breakdowns, and you get that as a helicopter view. So you can get the IVR reports and listen along with us if you get our sizzlers, which includes the Black Book write-ups like I described with Zoo Gotcha. So... To, so what it says to me is, as, as you said, it's re- really outlined top ranked had to do much more work in the mid-race, but Hugh Bowman knew that that he was in the wrong spot. And at the 800, he's made that move rather than a lot of jockeys um, of, of lesser standard to Hugh Bowman might wait till a home turn. And then you, then it's too late. You're not going to pick it up. No, and that's right. And, and of course, Hugh Bowman was, uh, you know, smart enough to anticipate that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, which, which is, um, you know, because really they've they've completely matched motors over the last four hundred. <laughs> you know, three lengths below benchmark, both of them at the uh, from the four hundred two hundred. So anyway, just a little fascinating quirk of the numbers there. Uh, and speaking of the numbers, there weren't much numbers there in race nine, the Metropolitan. Uh, what, what would you call hurdle speed, or what, what was the lead speed here? Yeah, wow, thirty lengths below benchmark lead speed. I mean, <laughs> there's definitely there was some. Some hurdles there, Ralphie, no question. That's 
on the standard of the day, that was another 10 lengths slower than what the reality should have been. They, they could have easily been travelling 10 lengths faster, but they chose not to. So that gave every horse the, the biggest opportunity to really put a big finish in it. And, and it was that, Ralphie. It was a massive mid-race move. You're talking about like five, six-second move between the eight and the four. That's huge. But that also gives you clarity around what you just said, dead set hurdle speed. You often say we're gonna, the, the rule of 10 sort of kicks in about the uh, flat runs where, where they are in the race. When they're moving 30, 30 lengths plus from the mid-race, does that say, apart from you know whatever the quality of the standards are, stayers are, that there could be some flatness out of this? I'd say there has to be that possibility for sure, Ralphie. And again, it depends on where they are in terms of their campaign. They're rock hard fit, probably to a lesser extent, but what they definitely lose is they lose even more speed. So if they get into a race where there's a lot of pressure through the first section, as opposed to this, they're going to struggle. Righto, let's have a look at uh, at Flemington. Um, the rail was out nine metres. We had just a glorious Melbourne uh, spring day as far as the weather was concerned. Now, I, I, I decided not to say this on our preview podcast, and I'm so glad I did. I got a phone call from someone who, I'll, I'll use my words carefully, is, is certainly well-known in the industry, just querying about Liam O'Keefe putting some water on the track uh, that morning and, and why he was. Uh, this person is a fan of firm tracks uh, or just letting it le- letting the weather desi- decide. Vince, I'm looking at your data. Uh, all, all, all credit, I think the track's played perfectly, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. No <laughs> question at all. That No sign. It could have probably done with a little bit more water. There you go. Yeah. It probably could have done with a little bit if somebody was really worried. But the reality is absolutely rock solid G3 without a shadow of doubt, particularly over the last 400 metres. I did say to the guy, look, Liam normally gets it right. He goes, yeah, I know, but so did, uh, the, the, uh, that, that conversation will remain private. But I, I only brought it up only because this guy is just such a master of what he's doing with the track. Yeah, well, yeah, he got it right all right. No, no question about that. And where the races were run below benchmark was absolutely race shape related, particularly over the, that 2,000 metre race. Yeah, well, that's the Turnbull, and we're, we're going to start there. Uh, well, there's two ways of looking at a race afterwards. Did, did we win? Did we lose? <laughs> and what did we learn? So uh, we didn't get see Smoke and Romans, um, but let's try and break it apart. We're looking at your race speed profiles here. What happened? Well, you've, your race speed profile says Knight's Order and Profondo are going to share the lead. Smoke and Romans is going to stalk it. And, uh, and then there's probably other speed from possibly Young Werther and, uh, and Milford. Well, Milford had no interest whatsoever in being part of it. Profondo gets squeezed at the start and, and isn't part of it. And then there's not much speed. How little speed was there? Well, this is it, Ralphie. The, the race shape was the critical factor. And, yes, I know a lot of people were clapping hands and saying unbelievable, the performance, and it was, right? I certainly wasn't forecasting this sort of race shape. And when you're going so slow, and when I say slow, it is slow relative to the day. Nine lengths below benchmark. The lead speed was seven and a half lengths below benchmark. And this just sets it up perfectly for horses that are on the, on the speed and closest to the lead. And when you have that big move in the, in the mid-race, and you just have a look at this, Ralphie. Let's look at Smoke and Roma's mid-race squeeze, 10.4. And then we have a look at a few other runners. Duaz, not that bad, really, 14.5. I wouldn't say that's like a super overextension. But Profondo, 
was 15.2. But then have a look at some of these other runners. What were they doing? Great House, 20.7. Surefire, 20 lengths. I mean, are we kidding me or what? That's crazy. So when my, my initial reaction post-race, you know, apart from, you know, being sick and <laughs> the quaddy's not there, but you go, well, what happened? Well, before even your, your, your numbers come out, let's, let's just look at something obvious. Who were the first four in the home turn? Smoke and Romans, Maximal, Youngworth, and Knight's Order. Well, who were the first four home? The exact same four. When horses of this quality don't change, that's going to tell you there's a race shape that's perfectly going to suit them. This is it. And because you had, you know, really what I would have considered slightly quicker than G3 in the home straight, and they're going at that, you know, going at that sort of velocity late because they've got so much energy. I mean, Smoke and Romans gone almost eight lengths above benchmark last 400. If you if you were winks and you're eight lengths off, you probably wouldn't pick it up, because what are you going to do? Run plus fourteen to to pick it up over the last four hundred meters. So you had to be right on the hammer. In, in other words, you had to be within two or three lengths of that pack to be any chance off that super mid race move and that unbelievable last four hundred meters, which was obviously aided by the ground condition. And you always say. You always say stats are static when it says to comes to looking at you know past races etc. And and here's a case in point. I've looked this up, Vince. Last year the lead speed in this exact same race was eleven point two. There's eighteen legs difference year to year in lead speed. So really they're, they're all the same track and distance. But that, that that's where the comparisons end. That's it. And this is where you can't fall into the trap when you look at final times on their own. No. All right. Now, there's a couple of key runners I'm going to ask you about in our preview podcast for our Group 1 members because what it sets up is for a huge form reversal to happen on a couple of these. And Smoke and Romans is now $5 favourite for the Caulfield Cup. Someone told you that a month ago. You would have you would have made a phone call and got him locked up. So he's $5 favourite. He was good. Uh, what can we learn from the Caulfield Cup? I'll ask Vince in our uh, in our um, Group 1 podcast that we'll do after this. Now, race eight in the program, the sprint. So there's two ways again <laughs> when, we're, when we're looking post. What what happens with different form and uh, full credit to Betty Asgari on racing.com because that was a, what he said, different form with private eye. The market wanted to avalanche this horse and in the end, what do we get? Well, we got Rock and Horse, Baller, the Astrologers, Zutori. They all ran to their Melbourne numbers and a bit of class came down from Sydney. Yes. Well, this is just on a form student. And when you're looking at things from businesses, well, I personally, a long, long, long time ago, went down this path of the way I like to outlay my betting is, you know, the typical one by four, two by eight, two by 10 type strategies, because often you're going to find yourself like on or around the, the scenario. And if they run in the money, there's a high probability you can make good money. Like example, like in that highlight scenario of the race speed profile, I put down the two highlight runners and one of them was Rockin' Horse and the other was the, uh, what was it, inter Interrogation or whatever it's called. And they both run the money. And if you had invested in a scenario where you do a one by four or a two by eight as an example, you virtually make 100% on the day and you don't win. So that's from a business point of view. But now we come back to private eye. This was stunning for a horse that needed more ground. I actually <laughs> felt, well, this horse is going to, you know, going to is going to be a killer over more ground. This horse was a killer. Now it was phenomenal. This performance, I I was blown away about how dynamic this run was, and it definitely was different class. 
So Vince, we uh, we, we tracked the um, the Queensland car- the Queensland Carnival. So we we did some sizzlers, and what was really obvious was there was there was some real class going around up up at uh, up at uh, Brisbane, and uh, a lot of it actually was due to the fact that horses just couldn't let down in those bottomless conditions in Sydney yep. that we've touched on uh, many many times. Private Eye, what we wrote about him in the Stradbroke. 3.3 links above benchmark rank second of the day, which of course was to Alligator Blood, who won the Underwood last week. We forecast a big elevation from his minus one length below benchmark leading run, getting away from the very wet Sydney tracks. He delivered 9.6 at the 800, seeing three lengths from the brutal speed, minus 0.5 in the mid race, minus 2.3 last 400. However, from the inner draw, was luckless on the turn, losing 2.8 links from the 400 to 200 before 2.2 length rebound last 200. His PB is 5.2, winning the Epsom. That's plausible again this spring. So 5.2 was his PB last spring. What did he do on Sunday? Well, there it is, 4.4. Fantastic. Unbelievable above IVR benchmark. That's as good as the horse has ever gone from a first-up perspective. Just stunning. I dare to say that uh, this horse has uh, improved. It's absolutely improved. So, uh, and again, with the first up horse, you got you got to respect the market, Vince, because when the Avalanche came, it said this horse was coming to play. It was. He was aided a little bit as well, when I say aided. That speed that they put on, both Rocking Horse and Astrologist, I mean, Astrologist was going four lengths above, Rocking Horse was going three above. They knew they were going quick. And as we discussed in the podcast, Ralph, if they go to the inside, there's going to be speed. And the speed was definitely... So they were looking to try and slow between the 8 and the 400. Never a smart thing to do. Private Eye, beautiful. You have a look at the blend of the race, Ralphie. Nowhere near as savage as the other runners. Like, the difference there is around three, four lengths in terms of what your slowdowns between the 8 and the 400. That only propelled the horse to have a more of a, you know, like, dynamic finish. And it was. It was pure, you know, absolutely on display. Plus 7.3 off an above benchmark. That's genuine group racing. All right, well, I'll break that down for our members because it was best of the day. Members get the best of the day sent to them each week. One horse you can certainly be clapping your hands about, Vince, was Luna Flair. Uh, I think it was $9 uh, on, uh, the, uh, on our Friday podcast that you were very keen on. Um, Graham Big post-race made a mention of, you know, when she lets rip, she's got that turn of foot. Well, she was certainly assisted to be able to do that because, again, we had a race of no pace. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And here we are. When I look at Luna Flair's breakdown, it was a beautiful ride in terms of the management of the energy. 5.5 lengths below benchmark through that first sort of, I don't know, 1,800 metres. And then between the 8 and the 400, like it's no, it's not an overextension. Like if you compare it to say someone like Francesco Gardi, who also obviously had other issues in the race, there's, a, there's virtually a five-length difference in the squeeze. And then the last 400 metres, how big was that? Like five lengths above benchmark, just kept going. That's just a testament to how ready the, the horse was and how much it appreciated the ground conditions being firmer. This is fantastic. As far as Midnight Blue and Vow and Declare, now Vow and Declare obviously had traffic um, as well. Midnight Blue... To me, he looks like a horse is just crying out for a race with some tempo because what we saw with his WA best, sometimes in those WA races, some, uh, shall we say, uh, not high-profile riders just get out and run and they run quickly and that shows what's under the bonnet. So he's, he's run to benchmark, but we know he can go better when the race is, uh, when the pressure's on. Yeah, it may have felt it a little bit too from that having that run 
last start leading into this game, 22 and a half below. Still, there's a bit of a sting in terms of the reversing of speed 14 days later. It may, it may have made it harder. And then he had to sort of like lift again between the eight and the 400. It was probably the first time for the campaign, other than that first up run at a mile. But this is a, at the staying distance where there was a lot of energy required. No surprise in the sense that the horse couldn't uh, win in the end against a horse like Luna Flair. And the reason why I say no surprise is because once they were in running and where they were positioned, it was never going to be easy for Midnight Blue to be able to hold them out. Uh, myself a little bit disappointed with Midnight Blue saying, okay, you're going to be able to find that type of level that you did from last campaign. I'm saying you're, you're coming to probably a plus two range. And I, I don't know if that's going to, well, it's certainly not going to be good enough to win some races. Where's Van de Clare? It looks like Danny O'Brien's got him absolutely spot on again. Yes, I felt this horse was always going to be in need of this run yep. to really help this horse go to the next stage, and and it, and it was great. Like the six point six lengths below benchmark was only just slower than the start before, but I love the mid race. It was far superior than the last start run, so this was going to take a lot of energy out of the horse and. Probably the important part, Ralphie, was that close over the last 200 metres was so strong, given the consideration, but still, maybe not as good as a couple of other horses, but this, they had lane biases. Uh, you were very keen on Exa Leader in the Rose of Kingston, Vince, and uh, hats off to Team Hayes. I mean, this horse, six-year-old mare, uh, she's turned up with a PB, hasn't she? Yeah, what, what a run this was as well, Ralphie. What I loved about this was... 3.8 lengths below benchmark first section. That's a good speed. You're not overreaching. But when you have a sustained last 800, which is around 8.2 lengths, and you had to deal with about a seven-length mid-race squeeze, this was a sign about, wow, have you really made that step up? And I, I guess at the end of the day, no surprise, but I was a little bit surprised about it. It even went better than my expectation in terms of overall IVR figure. It was solid, almost two lengths above. Got... Got in the top 10 for the day, another big plus. A bit of a theme of the day for me personally, Vince. Uh, at the start, prior to Jenny, smash, get squeezed out of it. And I looked at the stewards' vision. I don't know the exact spade did anything wrong whatsoever. But, uh, you know, we, we had a leading and she's a horse who can provide speed. But instead, when you crunch, crunch out of the start, you're not going to be leading. No, but uh, we, we touched this on the podcast. Just always this little the challenge about... It depends on what you do with Pride of Jenny. And okay, the horse didn't lead, but we also mentioned that if this horse goes in an orderly fashion up front, then it's going to be a real challenge. She's got no uh, kick. Yeah, she's, she's not that sort of horse. And I, I personally, when I look at it from a performance point of view, this was the wrong move by the rider to decide to say, well, I've missed the kick and I'm going to stay there. No. Yeah. I've seen it happen too many times before. It wasn't that dramatic of a blowout right through that very first section because it wasn't a hot speed. It, I get it. If you're already going three lengths above benchmark, you lose two lengths. You're already going to be gone at the 400. But in this situation, to just get up to the field again, yes, you would have burnt a length or two of energy, but then you would have had the horse where you needed to be, right, and kept the horse rolling. They didn't do that. And, the, and there you can see the horse even tanked out in the end as well. All right. Well, uh, just we, before we finish with a question from Darren about the Epsom, um, we, we should finish with Giga Kick. Um, they don't pay on margins, Vince, which is nice because it's won by absolute eyelash. But 
Yeah, uh, come your IVR data report, and this was high speed early for an eleven hundred straight race. Oh, this was this was hot hot race as well, Ralphie. Uh, serious up and comers here, no doubt about it. Two point six lengths above IVR ben- benchmark for Giga Kick, second best of the day, and the second horse take nothing away from that runner, third best of the day, and a big performance as well. And they and and real in in the sense that these particular runners are elevating sharply and we've got to see what they're capable of i love that yeah and, and geez they were legless late too and that, that's also a good sign going forward 67th uh, best last 200 today 55th best last 200 day bonus not just all the speed had already been used yeah and then they had to have that little bit of a slowdown between yep. the uh, six and the four ralphie and this is what i like there it is about the winner 2.8 drop off between the, the six and the four and the second runner have a look at that one, 3.5, Ralphie. So you know there's at least another length to come for both these runners, particularly if they get the right energy distribution. All right, interesting going forward. They'll both go to the Coolmore, no doubt. Um, we'll finish off with the Epsom. Uh, I know we've covered it, but we've got a member's question there, Vince, uh, from Sydney just beforehand. Yes. Alistair said, should Profondo be transferred to Chris Waller? Uh, well, he's, he was just in the wrong spot, as we uh, as we already uh, uh, touched on there, but we'll get some more clarity in our Group 1 members podcast. Um, Darren's asked, two head scratcher races from me. I'd like to hear Vince on in the Turnbull. Do us ran well below expectations and profiles, so we'll close on it in the uh, in the Group 1 podcast, but in the Epsom, uh, what I'll ask you, Vince, uh, we saw a genuine heavy eight, Ice Bath fourth, Nibbley five, uh, fifth, not running anywhere near their expectations of plus two and plus three, anything in the data that uh, gives a good excuse for them. Okay, yep. I'm just uh, coming back to it now. Well, step one, <laughs> here you are, you're going 12.6 lengths below benchmark through that first section. This is ice ice bath. Yep. Nimalee is going four point eight. So they've got the complete reversals in terms of how they're travelling. My view, Nimalee, realistically, probably a length too close in terms of where the pressure of the race was, because Crosstalk's lone leader, really. These two are lone leaders. So firstly on Nimaline, they've probably done everything they could. The downside, unfortunately, for the horses. It was in the wrong part of the race shape for this ground condition, and you really were only going to be left with one option on the day. That's a savage tanking out late, and you can see Nimalee had gone 14.1 lengths below benchmark last 400 metres. When we look at Ice Bath, tech, on the technicals, it's further back than ideal by about two lengths. So I'm not even saying be where Ellsberg is, but... You should have been like either on the hammer of top rank because top rank was out the back as well, Ralphie, right? Yep. Travelling 10.8 below. But you should have been at least on par with that horse and it wasn't. The moves were very similar in the mid-race, probably a slightly a slight overextension. And then the last 400 metres ice bath had come to the end of its run. <sighs> on the surface, a little bit disappointing for sure. No doubt about it, but... We look at the setup, and my view is if I look at the setup and say, okay, where were you coming into this race? Ice Bath had three runs in, very good. But he, here it is, Ralphie. When we look at the overall performance, like what it did leading into this race, eight and a half lengths below benchmark, you, yes, you had to go six lengths faster. In the mid-race, you've still improved by about a length, and then the finish wasn't there. That's a sign of flatness from my perspective. So maybe something's happened leading into the race, but this horse didn't have the same sharpness. 
probably to confirm that, look at the last 1,200, Ralph. He was second best of the entire day. And who was the best top ranked, who was also well back? So it's just the way that the race was set up in the end. Uh, look, if you're a fan of Ice Bath, I'm not going to say don't be with it in the future. I know we touched on it in the podcast, Ralph. You know, this is post-podcast when we hung up, but it wasn't going to be a horse I wanted to back on that particular day. Okay, that's uh, that's that's uh, Ranwick and Flemington. As I said, best of the day will be sent to our members, and uh, shortly we'll do a Group One podcast. Looking forward to some of these great features. Thanks so much for listening to Year Round Carnival.